out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes into the various places, people, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my fellow train conductor, Ross. Mac, I am ready to guide this train into the station. We have three fantastic topics to talk about. I think the first one might be a little long. Maybe one of our longest. I, I, I have a feeling. I think looking this, at your notes, I, I have think, a really good feeling it's going to go long. I think the second and third are going to be some of our shortest. Looking at my notes, I think that's true. Yes. So, uh, wow. Today, we are going to spend the bulk of our time going into the legacy of the hero, Jyn Erso. Yeah. And we are going to talk about her character from start to finish. So it's going to be a long one. I do want to say here in the intro, specifically spoilers for the novels Catalyst, Rebel Rising, and the movie Rogue One. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would imagine we've all seen Rogue One at this point, but there is a lot of great info, and I please, please urge you, if that sounds of any interest to you, listen to the whole topic, because I think it truly is one of the best. Yeah, and, and I've read Catalyst, Really enjoyed that novel. You've read both. You really enjoy those. If you have any interest in learning more about Jyn Erso, um, just understand that it would be better to go read those books and then come back. If not, by all means, listen listen ahead if you're not super interested yeah. in them because I, I do expect with the exhaustive yeah. notes you have, we're well, going to cover all the big topics. Here's what I'll tell you. I'm going to hit the big plot points, so the big establishing moments of her life. Oh, okay. We'll talk about the details will be a little more vague. So I think even if you're that, like there are people who listen to spoiler podcasts for movies before they see the movies. Sure. If as long as you're not so adverse that you're like, I don't see a trailer before I go see a movie. I don't think there's going to be so much detail here. Okay. Uh, that'll hurt you. So, you know, think about it for your own preferences, but I definitely want to uh, throw that out there. Second, Mac, what are we doing? We are going to talk about the convey X, which is yes. basically a star Wars space train. Woo. So the one chugga, you saw chugga, in chugga, Solo chugga, that they do the heist for, we're going to talk a little bit about that technology and what it is and what it means for Star Wars. Yes, the little engine that could itself, the Conveyx. I'm so in. Yes. And following a little bit of our Clone Wars high we've been having as of late, mm-hmm, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about a, another cool thing from the Clone Wars. The Commando droids, the BX series droids themselves, they are... One of my favorite new droids that's been added in. Yeah. Uh, and it's odd because we actually, uh, Mac, I don't know if you've watched uh, all of the new Clone Wars yet, season seven, mm-hmm. but uh, there's some other interesting droids we're seeing now too, maybe for the first mm. time, but uh, also some commando droids in the mix. So I'm super duper into it. Uh, they're great. Can't wait to talk about them. All right. And you know what? Let's just get to it. Yeah. Right after this. I got a lot to say. Urso. Forgery of imperial documents, possession of stolen property, aggravated assault, resisting arrest. Can you be trusted without your shackles? Yes, sir. We think you might be able to help us. When was the last time you were in contact with your father? What is this? It appears he is critical to the development of a super weapon. My father built this thing. We need to find him. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? 
We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Hold of this moment. The force is strong. Make ten men feel like a hundred. We'll take the next chance. And the next. You're rebels, aren't you? Save the rebellion! Save the dream! May the force be with us. Mac, I have a story that I would like to tell you. The story of Jin. Now, we talk about Rogue One a lot on the show. We've done a lot of Rogue One topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked before about how, for both of us, Rogue One is not uh, at the top of our Star Wars favorites, for sure. I know Mac and I uh, still have a lot of varying opinions on it, because for me, I still do enjoy it a lot. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. What we're here to talk about today is what I think one of the best character arcs, completed character arcs, to come out of this newest era of Star Wars that we've been getting. Mm -hmm. This character has a very, very specific beginning, middle, and end to her, uh, well, in this case, life, that a lot of the other characters we've gotten don't have yet and now of course you don't have to go from birth to death to complete you know an arc story yeah you do for a life cycle but obviously you know (laughs) not every character needs to die to complete their you know arc but with Jin, it really does work out in a very specific way for her uh and there are a lot of reflections kind of worked into earlier parts of her life of sort of where she ends up at the end, and uh, that's one of the things we'd like to talk about today. Now, Mac, before we start, I thought yeah. maybe you could just kind of give me your thoughts on what you think of Jin as a character, you know, what you know about her already, kind of like what you think her, maybe her defining character traits are. Yeah, well, I think the thing about um, Jin or so is that she is a really compelling character, and you know, you said like she has a beginning, middle, end, you're like, you're absolutely right. And unfortunately, like you said, it doesn't have to be a life cycle, but in this kind of genre of storytelling, it kind of does. Because if you don't yeah. kill a character, they'll just keep bringing them back. And sometimes that doesn't stop them either. You know, it's it's the idea of what's nice is she does have her arc complete. And, and yeah, we see her pretty much through her whole life through the different material. But realistically, even if you take her only within Rogue One, you, you basically see this person who is um passionate has been given a fairly raw deal in life and still is making something useful out of it and is not bitter or jaded is very much trying to still make the world a better place even though she has every reason to not care yeah she's like the opposite of han solo like Han Solo got kicked down by life and his thing was to sort of like retreat from it in a weird way. Right. I'll, I'll be a smuggler. I'll just work on my own, own like personal wealth and I'll just try to fight to the next thing. <laughs> Jen, Jin has more of a mission, has more of a, a cohesive set of virtues that she's trying to impact on the world. It's really funny you bring it up actually, because one of the points I'd like to make today is that Jin's character arc is, 
that we see completed for her at the end of Rogue One uh, is very, very similar to the motivations and arc that Han Solo completes at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm. Then obviously we have some other things that come later, but... Uh, you know, so I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit as well uh, okay. as we go. Okay, so cool. now I do also just want to preface here: uh, Mac has only watched Rogue One once, but he has a a traumatizing memory of every single scene. Well, no, no, I here's do recall the thing. it very well for someone who's watched it once. Well, I know, I know you say that, buddy, but that's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Uh, so just remember that you know there. Well, here's here's one of the reasons why we chose to do this topic today. Yeah. Is we want to not only talk about everything in Star Wars, mm-hmm. not just one particular area, but we want to make sure that uh, as our fandom uh, and love of Star Wars continues to evolve, our thoughts and opinions on it continue to be reevaluated. And I'm not talking about that just around one thing. I, I mean that about everything. Yeah. Uh, recently, I've shared my experiences with how I you know did a complete 180 on animated star wars totally and now i'm a much happier fan because of it so i think just the reason sometimes we keep you know mentioning points like oh you know this thing may not be my favorite thing in star wars or whatever is not necessarily to be negative but just to let you know where our honest opinions are coming from because i think it helps shape some of the things we're telling you and also to be perfectly honest so you know people can let us know or mac and i can let each other know when something we say isn't necessarily a positive thing for the fandom because there's definitely a difference between sharing an opinion and, uh, for lack of a better phrase, taking shots at something just because you don't like it. I mean, I know I've done it. I know I did it on our like (laughs) Rise of Skywalker episode. And I'll tell you, while that one still also is not my favorite Star Wars movie, I do like it a heck of a lot more. And sitting here today, I can tell you, Rogue One, while it is still my least favorite Star Wars movie, yeah. uh, the love I have for it has grown tremendously in the last three years, four years. And the last, the last year, I want to point out is I do really want to state that my dislike of Rogue One is completely 100% personal. He it doesn't has... like the Cassian killed someone right out of the gate. That's the big thing. I mean, that's the I, biggest thing, right? Well, let's just say that that put me on my heels for the rest of the movie yeah. and, and, and made it really hard for me to like it. I, I, mostly because yeah. he's just, he, in cowboy terms, he's a black hat. And yeah. then, anyway. We're not no, gonna, I, I, that's what I'm saying. Thing, I think just being as honest about it as possible honest. is, so, is but it will, I think, valuable here. But the important thing for that is yeah. that made me mad yes not like it that is yes. not me trying to make a quantitative statement of rogue one being good or bad or that you can like or dislike like i really really want to separate my personal impact that had on me yes versus what it is as a film because it's an important piece of star wars it's how the death star plans get stolen it is the origin of the modern rebellion um which we're going to talk about Jin is like the tip of the spear of what every she's a hero she's a legend is going to be Right? She's a legend. She was Luke Skywalker before be. Luke Skywalker. And she should be. So I just want to state that if I'm being blah about Rogue One, it is I'm being blah about Rogue One. Not what it is and the story and the importance of it in all of Star Wars. It's super duper important and needs to exist. Yes. And it brings a lot of people to the fandom. Absolutely. Once it hit Netflix, that was when it almost felt like, oh, yeah. okay, now the general public are talking about Star Wars again. Like, other than the Force Awakens premiere, that was when, like, our co-workers were asking us and, about Star Wars again. And let's was also after be Rogue last but not least, Netflix. yeah, being completely honest, 
And we know we're in a minority <laughs> holding a lower opinion of Rogue One. Yeah. The majority of the fandom, and especially, like you said, the more, um, the less deep ooey gooey center you get and the more you get to the mainstream love of star wars the more that clicked all the ticks all the boxes for what yeah. people mostly want to come to and a star i wars and story. i have a lot of ideas why and some of that i think is going to be wrapped up in jin's story here today so let, uh, let's start so, at the beginning okay so mac thank you for letting me guide you through some of this yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening okay so jin Led a really incredibly rough life. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, we're going to have spoilers here, by the way, in case you don't know. That's what we do here. So, Jin dies at the end of the film Rogue One at 21 years old. Yes. So, in 21 years, I just want you to think about <laughs> all the things that have happened to her. And I'm going to kind of just go through sort of a brief overview like a of bio- her life right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, give me a couple minutes, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, in case you're not aware, I also should cite my sources up front to be <laughs> thorough. So, all of Jin's life, essentially, with a few kind of tiny exceptions, come from three places. The film Rogue One, the novel Catalyst, which is a prequel novel mm-hmm. to Rogue One. And that novel really more tells the story of Galen and Craddock. Yes. Then there is a, another novel called Rebel Rising, mm-hmm. which takes place... Between the flashback scene we see in Rogue One, so the very intro scene when Jin is a yes. child yep. after her mother is murdered, the novel takes place in that gap that we see until she wakes up on Wobani, which will bridge, okay? Yeah, so that's where that novel rescued. takes place. So we do have literally a complete picture of Jin's life. Yep. Like, I mean, really, which is... Yeah, One of the reasons I think this is so fascinating, and Mac, when I saw this on the topic list, yeah, that you had put this on there, I think you kind of just like threw it on, like not even thinking about, it, like, oh, this well, would be a good character I'm, to do. You you had just you had just told me you had finished the the uh, Rebel Rising, yeah, and you had picked this this cool space squirrel, which you can hear about the the bulb, the bulb. <laughs> uh, you can hear about that. I'm just like, well, he's really hot on this right now, and I think this is the clearest picture we have of Jin in in both of our heads at the moment. So it seemed like a good time to hit it. That's really fair. That's really fair. I I think it's so interesting because it's all laid out here just in a couple of sources. If you want to check this out, it's really easy to do. Uh, I recommend it, but maybe after you hear this, you'll be convinced. All right. So for real now, we know our sources. (laughs) We know what we're doing. We know why we're here. Everybody ready? Let's do it. All right. So... Jen had an incredibly tough life. In 21 years, she uh, not only went through things that people should not have to go through ever, but uh, in in truly horrendous fashion sometimes. So Jin was uh, born during the Clone Wars mm-hmm. to Galen and Lyra and uh, was born inside of a separatist prison mm-hmm. and was raised there for the first six months of her life. So basically, she was in the care of her mother, and it wasn't like it was, you know, Oz or something. Like it was, uh, you know, a relatively well, but private room. But still, we need to remember that in know. general, in Star Wars, the yeah. detention centers, yeah, they they don't all have the, the the mythical connotations of a evil dungeon. Yeah. So you know, we're not talking like she was tortured here, but still, I mean, you're yeah. being raised by basically your mother and a droid only for the first six months of your life. Like, that just right. can't put good energy on you to begin <laughs> no. with. Let's start there, okay? It's under a bad sign. It's being born under a bad sign. Yeah. Uh, when she was younger, when she was still with her parents uh, uh, in the Clone Wars, 
uh, she was almost killed. Basically, her she was with her dad and her mother, and uh, they were essentially surrounded on top, sort of like a pile of rubble. Uh, this is also from Catalyst. And uh, literally, they're about to be executed, and the droids just shut off. Mm. So you have this experience when you're uh, incredibly young, I mean, a toddler, basically, where not only have you started your life off in a very rough situation, uh, you know, you have to be basically rescued out of this uh, this jail, and then you go to basically life-threatening situations, uh, you know, where your parents can't protect you, they can't do anything mm-hmm. to save you. Uh, and then eventually you find yourself, you know, going from living on Coruscant in a, you know, a swanky place and having uh, friends and family and education and all that. Yes. And then all of a sudden you're whisked away from that. Uh, and the only reason you're even here in the begin with is because you happen to be very lucky that the droids shut off during the Clone Wars. You know, I mean, yeah. who knows how much a child is perceiving that. But still, like, if it wasn't for literally you just happened to be there at the end of the war... Well, I think they just start spinning up the idea of like she's 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 like Han Solo. She's she's an instrument of the Force, even though she's uh, not a Force I user. I think that's exactly correct, and I think here there are some obvious, real specific calls to it. But we'll probably talk about that a little bit as we go. Yeah. So after Jin goes and leaves Coruscant with her parents to go into hiding on Lamu, yeah. she's now essentially in exile. Just her parents and herself and that's it you know a couple droids around the property yeah uh and you know that must be crazy to go from this bustling metropolis to from one of the most populous planets in the entire galaxy to to other human beings now if there's wi-fi in a target i'd be good but i mean beyond that like i don't even think she had access to like a target no i don't think so at all what a horrible life so i mean hey a peaceful life that's true uh so i i mean already (laughs) like we have this just terrible terrible start to life and then one day you're minding your own business and krennic comes knocking with his death troopers Mm -hmm. you see your mother killed you see your father captured once again unable to stop them unable to protect you and you know you you love your parents you're you're they're your heroes you look up to them and here you see one die a very very unevent you know just of a preventable, avoidable death, uh, especially as a child. How do you understand what's happening there? How do you understand those pieces at play? And then your father just lets it happen, and then he just leaves with these people. You know, he doesn't come to save you. What do you expect? Yeah, and 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 she's like, what four? When the lot? yeah, four or five, right yeah, around there. She's, she's right at the right age developmentally where she'll remember yeah. enough of this. Yeah, I figured, you know, I I was going to go and like write ages for everything, but then I kind of figured like she's so young, it doesn't matter what age it happens because it all happens in such developmental years. Oh, I'm just saying, you know, like as we go through, like I didn't write down specifically for that reason. Well, I'm just saying uh, it because like she might be young enough that she like Coruscant might fade out of her brain a little bit. Yeah. But like she is at a old enough age that she will remember her mom being killed like this. This is yeah. this is the you know inciting event of her life is is her family being killed and her father putting that necklace on her and basically putting her you know in a tube yeah <laughs> and abandoning her yeah absolutely and so this is where the film essentially starts Rogue One so you've seen this part yeah you've seen her mother Lyra get killed and then 
we cut to black, and in the film we have a time jump. But in this time jump, this is where the novel Rebel Rising takes place. Right. And so if you're going to read one canon novel that ties into a film, this would probably be the one I would recommend. And there are some great ones out there, but after having read this, uh, if you enjoyed Rogue One, it'll make it that much better. If you have uh, you know, lukewarm opinions on Rogue One, then I think this might... Uh, really help you enjoy some of the stuff that takes place in the film. So basically the novel starts off and she's with Saw. You know, they're yeah. at their hidden base. Um, it's sort of like a military style bunker. You know, he's picked her up. They've made sort of a temporary home there and people yeah, her- keep coming and going over the years. All they do is train and study and yeah, eventually she's had all this trauma in her life and, and she ends up being adopted by a man running a terrorist cell. Yes. Yes, I mean, that is what's happening here. And so things keep getting better for Jin. Yeah, and throughout her life, she basically is not forced. I mean, she's enjoy- she wants to be there, but it's really through indoctrination to begin with. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, Saw is, as his sanity slips away, which you see in this story, which is one of the other reasons I like it so much, mm-hmm. because it bridges, bridges that gap for that important character as well. But as you see him get slowly and slowly more crazed, you also see Jin grow up. Yeah. And so throughout her training, she becomes tough and smart, uh, and she develops the ability to uh, slice codes and to basically forge documents. Yeah. So that becomes her main skill set. So while she is incredibly strong and incredibly smart uh, and, uh, you know, basically ready to jump into action, she is really used more on the backstage because saw doesn't want anyone to figure out who she is and doesn't want her to get hurt. He definitely does. I mean, it's very well established that he truly does care for her. Right. Right. So she's a surrogate father. Yeah. So she does have a father figure. She does have role models. Yeah. Yeah. You could definitely call it that. Uh, but she's also leading this life of a, of a fighter. Mm -hmm. So throughout their time together, Jin sees terrible, terrible things. Uh, uh, people massacred with weapons that aren't don't leave laser holes, but you know pools of blood and mm-hmm. grime and just things that are horrendous to even think about. And after having some of these experiences, you know some of the ways she views things begin to change. And as the war goes on and things get tougher, uh, eventually her and Saw and another member of their cell uh, take a mission to an Imperial refinery. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're posing as a documentary team who are shooting, you know, propaganda footage for the empire. Hmm. Uh, but really they're trying to, you know, gather information for things for another rebel cell for a larger attack. Gotcha. Well, basically they get there and they're betrayed by one of the other rebels who are with them and let into a trap. Basically Jin and saw do fight their way free, but, uh, saw is hurt. There is a, you know, the other, uh, rebel who they're with, Saw's trying to basically fight him and get him to come back with him. So, you know, he can do whatever Saw wants yeah, yeah, to do, yeah. Borgullet, whatever it might be. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and, and gets to this point where basically he tells Jin, no, okay, you need to go. There's, you know, like this little like dugout bunker over here. Go hide in there. And we hear her say that line in the movie. You know, I think it's something like you left me in a in a bunker with a blaster and a knife and told me to wait for you and you never came back or whatever it was. And we see that scene play out. Basically happened. Yeah. yeah. So basically he says, okay, wait here overnight. I'm going to come back for you tomorrow is what he says to her. And she goes to the bunker and she waits and she seesaws grab their, you know, compatriot up the ramp of this ship and they escape. Yeah. 
And as she's sitting there, she says, I don't think he's going to come back for me. <laughs> and this has been building in her mind for a while as his level of distrust of everyone around him has, has slowly increased. started to, yeah, yeah, creep in more and more and more. So as Jin is sitting there, she sees that the Imperials are also leaving the planet. And they've been oppressing this this entire city, you know, since they've occupied it, you know, to basically draw out all the materials in the land and then that's it exploited and yeah leave. exactly and so as they leave she says well the empire's not going to leave any evidence of this and she notices that the star destroyers are staying behind and she realizes what's happening and so she decides no i have to leave i can't stay here and so as she's essentially trying to figure out a way out the empire starts bombarding the surface oh geez and so basically she's caught in this war zone where there's basically nothing she can do to defend herself. The entire population is being massacred around her because they're just leveling everything. And she's trying to figure it out. Now, luckily, the ship they came on was still available. Okay. Or, I'm sorry. The ship they... Yeah, the ship they came in, which was a, a stolen Imperial shuttle is what it was. That's right. So they had an Imperial shuttle. She still had her code replicator. She still had a few belongings, but she can't fly. So she finds another guy trying to, like, force his way into a locked ship, asks him if he can fly. They escape together. Okay. So essentially this near-death experience where they're, like, the only two people on the planet that they know of to survive this bombardment. Ooh. Or, you know, in this area, yeah, I should yeah, say. Yeah. So at this point, they split ways. They, they scrap the ship. They split the profits 50-50. And they leave. They move That's on. That's it. Yeah. yeah, because what can they do? They separate and they leave. Uh, which I thought was a really kind of neat choice to have, like, okay, you have this person helping her out of a tight pinch, and then they're gone. Yeah, you know, no one, no one will uh, stick with her. So yeah, she's, she she keeps getting abandoned. Yeah. So at this point, right, she's been abandoned by her family twice. Yeah. She was just left in a star destroyer bombardment of the surface, and just like imagine that, like from the Last Jedi, like think about that dreadnought. I mean, that's a much bigger gun than we're talking about in this case, but still. It's incredible to think of what she's already been through. And she's like, I think, 16 at this point. Okay. Okay. So she's this rock hard fighter. Like, she is like a true soldier, like military mind. She's not a teenage she's a girl. Soldier, yeah. yeah. Like, she is full on dedicated to this cause. And as she escapes, that's still what she's thinking is like, what do I do? How do I survive? And how do I get, you know, back to fight the Empire? Mm-hmm. Or really more appropriately, like, how can I keep running from the Empire is really what she's thinking. Gotcha. And so at this point, she's lost. She's abandoned. She has basically nothing other than her tools of her trade. And that's really it. Uh, a bad weapon, you know, a weapon that isn't really super functional. Uh, and so she basically hitches a ride out of the spaceport uh, with a uh, with a transport pilot. And as she gets to know this pilot. Oh, by the way, under the guise of being able to fix a droid and she has no idea how to do that, but that's kind of the job she's <laughs> hired to do. So basically she just lies. But while they're on again, the ship, she has the software, she can figure out the hardware. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. So as she escapes, she, uh, sorry, I was trying to find the appropriate spelling of the name here in my notes because it's the Pontas is the family, but the, the name of the mother is Akshaya. Okay. And I always want to say it, well pronounce it differently uh so akshaya so she's on her ship and basically she can't fix destroyed but they get across an imperial checkpoint and Jin basically is able to save the day by providing documents to her 
And that basically lets her know that, oh, okay, well, some this girl is not who she says she is, but she's getting me out of this situation right now. So, uh, okay. So basically she goes to live with the Pontas. And at this point, she is scared. All she wants to do is run for the empire, run from the empire. That's all she wants to do is get out of their way, get into hiding. Mm-hmm. And as she comes home with this kind of newfound family, she can't be complacent. But as she starts to live with them and she sees they, you know, sort of develop a normal life. Yeah. And for her, that's so unheard of because no one's teaching her to train. No one's teaching her to fight. No one's forcing her to do anything she doesn't want to do. She's living the life of a foster kid. She's starting to realize what families are actually being and they are not terrorists. That's a really great way to put it, I think. And so as she's going, she starts to develop feelings for Hater and she starts to develop this familial bond. And uh, basically, they uh, spend tons of time together. She's there for a really long time. I think it's like a year, if I remember correctly. And throughout that time, her and Hater fall in love. She uh, learns to pilot with him because he has a desire to be a pilot, but his mother won't let him fly because they had a sister who had this. Uh, there's this really interesting thing that that novel also introduces called Bloodburn. I don't think it's ever been in Star Wars before, but I didn't look that up. But I don't ever remember reading about it before. But basically, it's this rare disease that manifests if you go into space too many times. And it's a you know thing that not many people get. But it is possible to get. Uh, And they had another child that died from that. So because of that, his mother won't let him fly. Anyway, so Mm. Jin's story very much goes in with his because he's sort of calming her down. And she's sort of teaching him to rebel by saying, no, it's okay. Take the ship. You know, when your mother's away for a couple days, take the other one and go and practice flying and all that. So they sort of are working together to, you know, fix each other's uh, flaws. And I guess, you know, that's what family is kind of all about. So throughout her time with this family, uh, she starts to notice that some members of Saw's party are checking up on her. And eventually, one night, the Imperials come. Mm-hmm. And they had kind of planned for this. You know, they, they knew this was a possibility. But as they show up, they all escape to their ships. And as they're fleeing the planet, trying to get through the blockade, trying to escape the TIE fighters chasing them. Yeah. Right as they're about to jump to hyperspace, Jin makes it through and the other ship is blown up behind them. And so she is once again left alone without even knowing what happened to them because it's literally like right as she's going into hyperspace. She's already activated. the fireball as the lights are streaking in front of her. Yeah, she notices that there's an explosion, but she doesn't even know it's them. She thinks they're okay. She thinks they all made it. And then when she arrives uh, at the spaceport where she ends up landing because she can't get you know very far because right. of her ship is damaged, she gets out and realizes there's a literal chunk of the other ship wedged into the side of her ship, Ugh. letting her know that, no, there's no way they could have made it. But she hangs around. She waits. She says, no, they're going to make it. They're going to be back here. It's okay. So after spending a year with these people, not only are they dead, they're dead because of her. And they're dead because of some of the actions she's taken. And so now you have her once again on her own. It's like and her third stranded. time she's an orphan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this was the uh, first time where it's really, in a way, directly her fault. 
you know, from a certain point of view. Right, 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 right. So you also have that. And remember, she's, you know, like 20 years old here. <laughs> like, like yeah. this is still a, a really, really young person who's been dealing with stuff like this all their life. And then basically throughout her time kind of stranded on this colony, she's trying to get money to escape. Uh, she gets kind of caught by a Imperial officer they basically strike up a deal with her where if she forges them credit chips for one of the local gambling halls, they'll pay her and, you know, let her go. Uh, and so she does that. And then she ends up essentially getting wrapped up again and tricked into having to infiltrate and basically set up another rebel cell. Basically, go infiltrate from within and set up a rebel cell to be caught. And if she's done that, they say, okay, your record will be expunged and... You can go on about now, you know, with your freedom. And she's going under an alias at this point, right? Yes. Yes, she is. So it's interesting you bring that up because Haddock, the name she goes under, we hear at the beginning of Rogue One. Mm -hmm. So this story essentially ends, Rebel Rising, with her getting arrested with this rebel cell. Basically, the Imperial officer betrays her and says, no, no, this is one of the rebels as well. Take her away. And this takes her to the prison camp on Wobani. Now, this is where we pick up again in the film, but what I loved about the novel and the, the reason why I really recommend this one, Rebel Rising, so highly is not only because of everything it does up to this point, but it could have ended here. It could have been, okay, and then you pick up on Wobani, but it doesn't. It spends mm. time throughout the book shaping up her time on Wobani. So there are segments sparse throughout, mm. and then we have some, I think, again, right at the very end that literally is her in her prison cell day after day teaching, you know, learning what this prison life is like, learning how terrible it is, how little food they get, how little they're allowed to, you know, they work 16 hours a day and they sleep four hours a day, something like that. And this isn't a detention center. This is a evil dungeon prison. Yes, very <laughs> much so. Uh, jail versus prison, right? Right. Okay. So here we have her essentially being worked to death. I mean, that's really what's happening. Uh, you know, she develops a relationship with her roommate and her roommate can't work anymore one day when they're literally like hanging on a rock wall, you know, placing charges or I can't remember what they're placing down there, but literally like hanging on the edge of a cliff by a wire. And uh, they just they just kill her just because she can't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And then they make Jin take all of her effects off of her and bring them up all of her equipment. You know, all of the Imperial the equipment important that can't go to really stuff. Exactly. So not only was she basically orphaned three times, mm -hmm. once with the death of her mother and the abandonment of her father, once by the abandonment of her adopted father, and then again directly responsible for the death of her adopted family, all before the age of 21. Yeah. Then, after being betrayed when she thought she found had finally found a way out. Yeah. Taken to an imperial prison. Yep. Essentially tortured, worked to death. Yeah, it's yeah. hard labor. It's, yeah. it's chain gang work. And then seeing people die around her, people she gets to know, people she's friends with, seeing people in the prison try and lead rebellions and seeing them killed. Mm -hmm. Right? She thinks her life's over. Right? right? She thinks that's it. She's basically given up fighting. And this is where we pick up at the beginning of Rogue One. Right. And this, I think, is ultimately why Mac and I struggled a little bit with Rogue One at the beginning, especially, mm -hmm. is because we only see the last part 
of Jin's arc. Yes. We see a little bit kind of at the well, beginning. We see the, incite, we see the inciting event. We see yes. her family killed. And we get the idea yes. that she's picked up by this guy who we're going to spend a lot of time seeing in this movie, Saw Gerrera, who is this, this uh, rebel war hero who's completely gone off the reservation. He's He's right. gotten... An, overly violent he is he is a terrorist in yes. anyone's textbook and more importantly he can't be trusted because his mental facilities are just going exactly so we pick up in this beginning of the end of Jin's life essentially is where kind of rogue one truly starts and why i think that's so important to point out is these other pieces, mostly what we see in the Rebel Rising book. I mean, you don't necessarily need Catalyst for this. It only makes some of the setup, Galen and Krennic story a lot better. But really, the mm. combination of Rebel Rising and Rogue One paint a very different story of who Jin is at the beginning of the movie. Well, Agreed. different, yes. I, I do actually want to stick by that. It's not that this story isn't there. I guess it's so much more poignant with the novel. So let me explain myself a little bit. Okay. So when Jin is rescued from the labor camp by the rebels in K2. Yeah. She basically at that point was ready to move on. Like she didn't want to be part of the rebellion anymore. She was just trying to get out to escape. Okay. Right. She didn't want to be part of the fight anymore. She just wanted to live. That's what the Pontas had taught her. And she's just trying to live and survive and, at certain points, Stay trying to find someone radar. she can care about. Yeah. Yeah. But at this point, the labor camp has just beaten it out of her. She's Because she's been there for the better part of a year, like six months or so. Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, so if you have that number. Yeah. Though, no, no. Great. I think it's I think it's like basically half a year she's been here. And she's also like the average lifespan of this prison camp is like five years. So she has a very bleak future. And like you said, she's yeah. starting to anticipate that bleakness there's there's not as much yeah. of a fighting spirit anymore well the hope the hope is has it's dwindling yes <laughs> and then uh yeah then extraction for or extraction team bravo with k2so blows up her things she doesn't trust them she's afraid that saw's going sent people to like finish her off because she knows too much because he's all the way insane and so she like fights first the first two rebels until k2so basically clothesline her and <laughs> congratulates her because she's being rescued. <laughs> and at this point, she's being dragged back into a life she doesn't want anymore. Right. Right. Like she basically finds herself on Yavin 4 in front of part of the Rebel High Council. And she's literally saying, I'm, I don't want any part of this. I'm not part of a rebellion. I don't know these people anymore. Uh, she's just shocked how much they know about her to begin with. Right, right. She tries movie, to talk about her, her way out of it every in every way. And in the movie, we basically see a person who has been thankfully rescued from her prison camp thing, brought in front of the rebels, and our protagonist is already telling us why she doesn't want to be a protagonist. Yes. It's a little, like you said, there's, there's just... All right, I'm just going to state it so we don't have to keep circling back to it. Rogue One has amazing characters... And because of innumerable factors, mostly just the collaborative nature of filmmaking, those characters don't get as much expression as we would like, which is why things like Catalyst and Rebel Rising and probably the Cast and Andor show that's coming out is everything is going to make this movie 
way better as it goes. Just like how the performances or the muted character of Anakin Skywalker in episode two and three is made so much better by Matt Lantern and spending seven seasons with him. So one of the points I wanted to make, because I think you're hitting the nail on the head here. Uh, yeah. So let me frame it from the way I was thinking of sure, it, because sure. I think you nailed it. Star Wars is not great in short form. The reason why Star Wars is so awesome is because we have large, expansive, character-driven stories. That's what the original trilogy was. Yeah. That's what the prequel trilogy was. That's what the sequel trilogy is. Yeah. Right? We have multiple hours to tell a story. It's why stuff like The Clone Wars is so good. It's why stuff like Rebels and The Mandalorian is so good. Because in Star Wars, the thing that makes it so unique is we spend time there. Yeah. Right? The, the movies Rogue are the bullet One points. didn't give us a chance to do that as a film on its own because we only saw basically a third of Jin. Oh yeah, in that film. And 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 to be blunt, that is true of all of Star Wars. I want to make sure that that's clear. The Obi Wan I know is influenced by Hugh McGregor's Obi Wan that didn't exist for years and years and years. People just had the end of Obi Wan's life. That's all they had to build right. their idea of who right. his character was or. The, the difference there, one. though, is oh. that movie wasn't about Obi-Wan. This movie was about Jin. Oh, that's true. that's true. And that's why I think, for me, it just never felt right only having the context of the movie. Okay, yeah. I know right? what you're saying. So that, that I think, is what I want to call <laughs> out specifically is, like... And one of the caveats also is, we also had to wait, like two decades to get like Obi-Wan's rest of the story. Thankfully yeah. these, these tie in novels came out at the launch of the movie. Or just uh, yes. About essentially catalyst was right before <laughs> rebel rising. I believe was like that spring after. Yeah. Uh, I should have looked that up. I did. Oh no, no, I, it's good. It's just trusting it's, my it's, memory on that. What's one. nice about star Wars now is you don't have to wait forever right. to get these nuanced stories. So They're thank usually you. coming out. That is one of the other points I wanted to make. And one of the reasons why I was really excited about this is mm -hmm. if, if you're, if you're someone who needs to have a lot of detail or needs to have information, like that to enjoy Star Wars, which I understand. I'm like that in a lot of ways. I totally get it. But patience is important when you're a Jedi. <laughs> you have to wait for things to come to you. We don't need right. to attack them head on. Like when people are mad Snoke dies and we don't know anything about Snoke. Well, hey, guess what? You're going to get some more information about Snoke. And, um, and you're two and are. a half years later, yeah. you know where he came from. You know some of what happened to him before The Force Awakens, some of how he got to where he is. So, like, that's already a great start. So I know that's just one example, and sure. uh, I probably shouldn't have picked a Last Jedi example now that I think about it. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, well, my classic one is Boba Fett. Boba Fett, yeah. as in the movie, or Phasma in the movie, are both characters that are basically nothing they amount to nothing yeah but they look cool and that compelled people to make more stories about them and now yeah. Boba Fett continues to be one of the most like revered characters in Star Wars even though you you can't understand <laughs> it unless you've absorbed oceans of material outside the movie yes if you just showed someone episodes five and six and you said that guy that guy's the biggest thing in the world I don't know you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, I kids loved him, cool. though. Uh, See, that's the thing, though. In 1980, he was, right? Like, people yeah. loved... Like, he did take oh, off right away. Go. Yeah. So then, you know, that's something I wish I could have lived through. So since I don't know enough about it, since I wasn't there well, firsthand, I won't speculate. But I well, really wish I could have lived through, like, being a fan of Boba Fett in 1980 and then seeing him die in 83 and being like, oh. Like, did that fandom continue or was that... Did that come later? 
probably 50 50 mm, i mean i'm curious but, but back to your point with you are right that it's a little different because Jin urso we don't really get a nice whipping up of her origin story and we, can i we, we on purpose and i think this was purposeful yeah. by um garrett edwards was he wanted it to feel like a more documentary style so yeah we drop in right when we see Jin. And that movie, more than any of the Star Wars movies, is trying to be basically told in real time. Yes. It's not trying to cut away and do a lot of flashbacks or a lot of aside stories. We basically go with that team from the word go through yeah. the end of the movie as as much as the language of Star Wars will let us. So can I tell you something kind of interesting? Shoot. <laughs> Jyn Erso spends more time on screen slash is involved in more scenes... Mm -hmm. by the minute then luke skywalker is in empire strikes back empire is also a longer movie so Jin is on screen slash involved in the action yeah more than our hero character is in essentially what people consider the best movie now yeah. the reason i'm bringing that up is because i simply have a question surrounding that and i think sure. that statistic is important for framing it okay if you had if you could only watch empire strikes back Maybe maybe the example's better if you could only watch Return of the Jedi. But do you, would you feel that that one film is enough to understand this character, understand what they've been through, understand who <laughs> they are? Now, I understand that like Empire or Jedi is not trying to tell it in that way because it's it's, it's not trying a to trilogy, yeah. right? So it would clearly be written differently. So this question well, is very much speculation, so but I'm curious on your thoughts. So here's my thing. Yes. Absolutely. And here's the reason I say that. Because I only had Return of the Jedi for a long time of my formative years of Star Wars. All right. I perfect. Didn't, I didn't know the rest of Luke's story. So as far as I knew, Luke always was kind of this reserved guy wearing all black who start, walked around with this swaggering confidence. Yeah. Little did I know. Yeah. And <laughs> then can I ask you a follow-up to that? And then I want Sure. So, and you loved Luke, right? Yeah. Only knowing Luke, only seeing him in that movie, only seeing basically his sort of like penultimate chapter sure. because really i mean the sequel trilogy but you know you get the point right like this is like luke at his apex essentially from what we see on film yeah you loved him you yeah. developed an attachment to him yeah. so all of everything i'm saying is basically wanting me coming back to say this right i think my dislike of seeing Jin on film initially in Rogue One, not dislike of seeing her because she's a great actress well, and she's good in the film and all that. Your first impression. Right. My first impression of saying there's not enough here. Right. I think I've used like I literally the, the word in some of our earlier shows before I decided I really wanted to try and rein in some of the things I say is uh, like she felt like a cardboard cutout. Like she felt like she was nothing in the so, film for most of it. No. And going mm -hmm. back and rewatching it through the eyes of. Uh, especially Rebel Rising, but honestly, just looking at it from less of a doesn't make sense to say less of a critical standpoint because it is more of a critical standpoint. But basically, looking at it and paying true attention to like the way the scenes are filmed, the emotion in the actors' faces, the things they're not saying. Like, can I tell you another thing interesting? Bodhi Rook is on screen more than any other hero character besides Jin and Cassian. Yeah. And I think most people would think of him as the least essential, but he's there bringing scenes along in ways that some of the other characters don't. And so there's these sort of tiny, tiny things that when you look at it all in the grand context makes this character so fantastic and makes this movie and this entire three part property that is Catalyst, Rebel Rising and Rogue One 
so interesting. Now, real quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick a pin and pause this for a second. Okay. I want to talk more about Jin's character, but I want you to yes. let's finish her story. Let's let's yes. sum up what happens in Rogue One. Sorry, I think then when we we'll talk about, the whole about other films. I got a little off track. No, no, you're okay. No, there's nothing wrong with that. So, We're going to talk about more about that. We but let's are. get to the analysis after we get the yes, synopsis. Yes, you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. So. So she's when she's in the Rebel High Council, Jin has this moment where she has to decide what are her options, right? She's mm-hmm. fighting for freedom. She is not fighting for the rebellion. She's not fighting for Saw. She's fighting to get free, to get out oh, of and, here. And, yeah, her personal freedom, not right. galactic freedom, her, right. her personal, personal freedom. freedom. So she takes this message with Cassian. Uh, not knowing he has an alternative mission of his own. Mm-hmm. And basically, Jin is not trustworthy. She steals a blaster. She, you know, doesn't trust K2 at all because he's an Imperial droid. Uh, she's, you know, hesitant around Cassian. And as they make their way through their first part of her story here in Rogue One, when they're on Jetta, you know, Jin has some interesting moments. So she gets to Saw and she has this really interesting conversation where Saw is basically saying, are you still not part of the cause? Oh, and, go and, ahead. And we're just to state, and the whole reason that she's drawn in by the rebels is like, you can get to Saw in a way that none of us can because you worked oh. with him for so long. That yes. is the, that is essentially the only reason she was sprung from prison is the fact that they think she can connect to Saw. Yes. And the fact that they've heard about this Imperial defector who has a connection to her father and they kind of go like did you know your father was working on plan to destroy and super weapons and she's like no it's like oh well you know saw guerrero like it's <laughs> yeah. it's almost a footnote that galen urso is her dad yeah. they're like weirded out by that but it leads to them even be more distrustful of her of yeah. like she hasn't seen her father since she was four but maybe they're still in cahoots yeah and you just see the paranoia of the rebellion is just a shadow of the insane paranoia Saw is dealing with. Yeah. All the rebels are under constant threat of being destroyed by the Empire, and yeah. all of them are wigged out and stressed out at all times. That's right. And Jin has that line when she's meeting with the High Council, to your point about, like, I've never had the uh, you know luxury of having political opinions. And <laughs> in the movie, that line is kind of like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, but then when you think about all of the backstory that we now know about and everything yeah. else that's come... Well, yeah, that's right. She was forced into hiding from a regime that she knew nothing about as a child. Yep. Then she was indoctrinated to believe in a rebel cause by Saw. And she's just pinballed all yeah. through her life. She doesn't have those choices. So on Jetta, when she's yeah. got this group of people she sort of trusts and they're already busting up like Imperials trying to fi- find a way to meet up with Saw, you yeah. know, like she's just back and being a freedom fighter, yeah. you know, and she's she's. The life she try she's trying to get away from, she's absolutely back in the epicenter of it. And that actually, so I should, there's one other character trait I wanted to point out here yeah. that I kind of glossed over. So I appreciate you calling me out. Once we got yeah, to Rogue One, I started skipping on the details. I'm like, oh, he knows Rogue One. But I just said I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> It's exciting, uh, right? That's yeah, it is. It is. jumping around. So when they're in that firefight in Jeddah, Jin has that moment where she runs out and saves that little girl. Right. And when I first saw the movie, I think I was kind of like, okay, that's like par for the course. Like that happens in every movie who's a hero. 
But now we're coming back to, of okay, while this person may not be fighting for the cause in her greater story, she is still a good person. And the movie's telling us there that the prison didn't break her. It didn't make her cynical to the point of, I'll just let this child die because it's less dangerous for me if She's I do still got that. That, that. That spit of hope. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so I think I kind of wrote that little bit off in the movie because, for lack of a better term, term it seemed kind of tropey right of just like yes our hero's a good person they saved the girl but like watching it on my first go through i don't think i really ever thought of it that way i just thought of like yep here's the thing in an action movie a a girl you know saves this other person yeah yeah yeah. Uh, so anyway so that moment now i think is you know for me a lot more important it's her saving herself in a weird way well that's true too right i think there is definitely that symbolism there the girl has like that head wrap that we see Jin use um well, it's just the idea of, uh, of Jin figures. knows what it's like to be a little girl and lose everything. She does yeah. not want other little girls to suffer that either. Yeah. So when she eventually meets Saw, she confronts him about leaving her and lets her know, let, lets Saw know how much it hurt her and how much she was upset by it and how much she's mad at him for it still. And Saw basically then after you know talking with her about, oh, I did it for your own good. Whether that's true or not, Saw believes it. Like Saw believes he did it for her own good. And so whether Jin believes him, it doesn't really matter because she's at least accepting him because some of the things that Saw says here, uh, basically like, do you no longer believe in this? Like, do you no longer believe in what I trained you to believe in? Do you no longer believe in the rebellion? Because at this point she's not admitting that she does. Like she doesn't believe that there is. She's here for her personal freedom. She's not here for the cause. And, Saw is like, what happens when you look up and you see the flags of the empire flying above you? How can you live like that? Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, it's not a problem if you don't look up. Mm -hmm. And basically just like telegraphing the, no, I am not fighting for any cause at this point. Right. And it's when she sees the message from her father, when he explains to her that I held out hope that we could destroy this thing from the inside. Right. I did everything I could. I did things that were against my beliefs. You know, I learned to lie. I took this time to sabotage from within, hoping that you're safe, hoping that this will work out for you. And I'm going to basically sacrifice myself to do that. We get the parallel of Galen has been in the way he can. He has been holding on to a similar hope. Yes. It is a rebellion. And just like Jin, who's been forced through a life she didn't really ask for and would have given a choice not taken. Galen's also in the same thing. He would rather not be a prisoner of the empire and be a war being forced to be a war criminal and a, you know, military scientist, but he's not giving in. He's still trying yeah. to do something with that lot. The message is you have to play the hand of Sabak you're dealt. At yeah. the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. And you can either choose to do what you believe is right, or you can choose to take the easy path. And right. that's what Galen did. And Jin learns from that in that moment and says, okay, I can do this too. She, that's what she's starting to think here. Right. And she's, broken down at this point right she's at tears she can't you know function uh cassian basically has to come in and get her yep and unfortunately the message is lost but at this point Jin is uh, i mean struck she learns her father is alive the father she thought abandoned her she learns that was never the case you can i think presume that she learns that no saw did care about her he left her out of her own best interest i think that's a little more wishy-washy in the film on how Jin takes it. It's okay. But because she stops yelling at him, I, I, that's how I read it. So, you know, she she's accepting him again for what he is. Uh, 
And at this point, they see something that no one in history had ever seen up until this point. Uh, an entire section of a planet being destroyed from a single blast from a space station. Yeah, we have the we have the one of the test firings of the now installed super laser yeah, on the, the first test firing. Well, we the weapon has been fired, but it's never been fired from yeah, its sorry, proper the first space station tactical use. Yeah, that's yeah. It's 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 the it's the shakedown run. They're like, well, okay. we're not going to blow this planet, but put a big real hole in it. Yes. And so they're trying to escape for their lives. Like, think yeah. about how terrifying that would be. You know, I think sometimes we see things like this in an action movie and we say, oh, that's really neat. That looks really cool. That's great computer-generated effects. But when I really put myself in the minds of those characters and, like, Jen especially of what she's gone through in this last 10 minutes, like, her whole world was just shaken again. Yeah. And now she's got this thing she's got to survive. And so they make it through, and okay, no time to rest. Now we've got to go to Edu, where your father might be. Oh, and last thing is, uh, I want to mention here is, and she gets her her she she finds she ha- her father's still alive, and then her surrogate father dies <laughs> because Saul doesn't make it out of Jeddah. That's true. But That's the nice true. thing about this is, yeah. Jin does get that slight little moment of seeing Saw sort of be sapient again for a hot minute, and yeah. just remind you of like. This is a kid who, since he was Jin's age, has been fighting tyranny upon tyranny, on whether it was all the way back in the Clone Wars when he was fighting for Onderanian freedom. This is a guy who is a true believer in freedom and just, like you said, was dealing with this hand of sabak he had and was never going to get out of this prison of fighting wars because mm-hmm. he has the whole, you know, save the rebellion, save the dream. He really he wants her to carry his torch forward and it's not selfish. It's, it's just reminding him he actually genuinely believes in this stuff. And in some weird way, I think that plays to the only time in the movie we see the real warmth of how they must have been surrogate son and daughter or father and daughter. Um, and, and yet again, just all, all the universe of Jin is keep getting the doors, Mm -hmm. keep closing on her Mm -hmm. because now she's, She's the man who orphaned her is orphaning her again because he doesn't make it. And now she's just got this big spit of hope of she's got this double edged sword of on the on the way to the next planet. They have the option of like she has maybe a chance to reunite with her father someday, like to, to make that connection. And then the other thing is, if this space station, which you just saw, did what it did and she has a chance to stop it, then this is starting to become beyond her own personal freedom. She thinks it's really important that this thing is too evil to be allowed to exist. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is a cause worth dying for. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. Yes. Uh, I am really shocked at this point that the movie takes the next step that it does. Uh, I mean, it makes sense, obviously, in the film for a lot of reasons and all that. But we arrive at Edu. Yes. And their U-wing goes down. They clip a mountain or whatever you call them. Yeah, yeah, clip, yeah. Clip yeah. a big rock and they go down. And basically Cassian says, okay, you wait here. I'm going to go have a look around. But really, he's going to assassinate Galen. He's and got a shot. And that's his ulterior motive is to take him out if he gets the Yes. Chance. Now, because the Rebel Alliance thinks that they're down, they send in bombers. They send in a bombing run and Jin goes and climbs up onto the giant landing platform uh, where a confrontation is going on between Galen and Credic. Well, basically, 
Cassian decides not to pull the trigger. That's for another day. We'll talk about his character sometime. Mm -hmm. But the bombing run commences, and Galen is caught in the explosion and uh, is mortally wounded. Yeah. So Jin makes it onto the platform, takes a few shots at Krennic. Well, shouts at Krennic. Yeah. uh, Takes a few shots at his ship. Uh, And basically then rushes over to grab her, her father and hold him while he dies. Yeah. And so in this moment... Jin is, for this brief, painful moment, reunited with this father, who she hasn't seen since she was a child, who she thought had abandoned her, but in turn had really been doing the opposite and trying to care for her in the only way he could by protecting the galaxy as a whole for her. Right. You know, from where he is essentially imprisoned. And while he doesn't make it, this is that final tipping point of, okay, I can let my past go and I can move on and look towards what the future should be. Yeah. And the future is something I want to try and make better by finishing my father's work. Right. So what I think is really interesting about this little point is we have this own little mini reflection of what the Skywalker saga is of I'm inheriting the deeds of my parents. Yep. They were good, but they also did bad things in a way. Yep. And I'm going to be better than they were but still have to deal with the sins of my past yeah and that is essentially that same little arc that we see just spread out across nine movies so because this is the moment where like you said she she's lost saw she's lost her real father the entire book of her life up to this point has essentially been closed and now she's deciding what about the cause against the empire does she have any genuine opinion on yeah. And it's it's kind of coming down to like you said this reflection of she uniquely has the opportunity to stop the things she saw in Jetta. Yeah. She uniquely has the opportunity to kill to attack, kill, deal with Krennic, who is the corrupter of her father. Yeah. This guy who she mostly remembers him for two things. Being here when her dad died and earlier when he took her dad yeah. and killed her mom yeah. indirectly. Absolutely. So this person who has essentially haunted her. Yes. She she has here again at her father's demise. We're getting to the point that she has a very personal, she's not inheriting Saw's cause. She's yeah. not a rebel because, well, she's not the empire. So I guess you end up as a rebel. Like yeah. she's starting to figure out what she wants, which is yeah. what sets up everything after this. It's her motivation. And no surprise, when a character is motivated, they become a much more interesting character. Yeah. And that takes us into the last leg of the movie here. Now, there is one scene here that I do think is really important, mm-hmm. but I'm going to really save a detailed bit of it for okay. when we do Cassian. So Jin and Cassian oh, have, yeah. a, have a conversation on the bridge of the shuttle they've stolen, the Imperial shuttle they've stolen. And it's essentially a, I know what you were up there to do. Cassian is saying, but I didn't do it, so that's okay. And she's basically saying, well, my father's still dead. So, you know. Well, Cassian Ender is a character that's shaping shaping Jin, And I think in, in the movie as writ right now, yeah. he's very much a grindstone for her to sharpen herself yeah. on. Um, I don't want to get into my problems with Cassian Ender, but I really am hopeful that when this yeah. TV show gets going, we will find out, like we found out with Jin with these books kind of what shaped her up to this point. I think Cassie is a character that at right now is painfully what we said earlier of I'm seeing the last moments of his life. I really don't know much about him beforehand, except for vague, like him trailing off and and saying things that like, 
my life's been tough. Awesome. Maybe when I see that, I will agree with you why that tough life made you who you are. Yeah. It's it's the um. I so I do want to say one quick little thing about it while we're here since you okay. said it. The it's the Han Solo effect. We see him now. Obviously, it's a little different because this person doesn't have a blaster on him. But we see him do something really bad. Shoot his compatriot in the back, right? Well, he right at the beginning he closes of the film. a loop. He right he, at the beginning of the movie, he kill, kills right. a rebel informant right. primarily to cover the rebels' tracks. The problem is that's his dark middle chapter. That's the end of his dark middle chapter, I assume, and is the first moment and, we see him. Right, exactly, exactly. And so I think, like you said, when you have more, that can make that a lot more comfortable. Um, but there are some interesting things in the movie here, and this is why I bring all that up, is there's one line that Jin has here that I do want to address, and that's that, yeah. you know, I w- he goes, I was just following orders, and she goes, okay, so you're no better than a stormtrooper. Which is cutting. And that not only hits home for him, but I think it shows her character because I think she knows that's not true. I think she knows well, I think she meant it as the cutting remark. Yes, exactly. She's trying to make a point, but I think the reason that's important <laughs> is because that it shows Jin is still not part of the alliance. And we see that right. again here later. She's not fighting with a cause. She's a rebel, but she's fighting for her own purposes still, as you were saying. She hates the Empire as much as any any uh, rebel, but she hates it because she hates it. Exactly. Not because it's just this big thing we got to fight. Right. Like so she, she's following. She's never lost her personal reasons yeah. for this stuff. So she's doing what a leader does. She inspires others to follow. And so not only does she get Bodhi and Baze and Malbus, uh, Malbus and Jared Imway to follow her, not only that, but through influencing Cassian and through bringing him to her cause and showing that, hey, what you believe worth fighting for is worth fighting for. It's not about what other people tell you to fight for. It's what you believe is right. And because she can convince him in that sort of moment that we see prior, he brings their entire assault force, people who trust him. So by being a leader, which is what Jin ultimately is, right? Her father wasn't a leader. She was a leader and through that is able to inspire what ends up happening here. It's the first example of something that is paid off in the sequel trilogies of the idea of we are the spark that will light the fire. Like she is this catalyst to all of this other stuff happening. And that's why I think the strongest, honestly, I think the strongest part of the entire movie is when you do get back to Yavin four and the council, even like Bail Organa and the Mothma are there and they're kind of yeah. going like, Hey guys, we're going to probably pick up stakes. This thing is super going to kill us. And if we're all on one planet, that's just not going to work out well. Um, yeah. Guys, I don't know if we can rebel anymore. And she's just like, you, you saw Jetta. And your answer is, we need to pick up stakes because this is too sca- No, this is the ultimate evil in the universe. This is where you throw everything you have to yeah. stop it. And it's great to see. We've always thought the rebellion, right? When we see them in New Hope, we're like, oh, they're standing in lockstep. They've been fighting the war the whole time. I'm like, no, these are scared people who yeah. want to make a better life and especially the seniors, like again, Manmothma and, and like Bale are like, no, we we've seen what happens when, you know, when you, when you try to stop something, you know, the Jedi, you know, we're doing everything for the universe See, and we saw them being murdered. We, we know this can end really poorly and we have to, 
we have to fight smart. And she's, she, you're just too young to understand this. She's like, no, I've lived such so a life. I, I got to stop you here because this is yeah. one of those moments where rewatching the movie would help you. You're very wrong about this. They're not saying that at all. Those characters want to get out and fight. It's the Senate problem again. It's no, no, too but... many voices. Mon Mothma, Bale, they're ready to go out and take action they want to that's what they're there to do it's every other voice that's coming around no but the other generals they're in that they're in that senate mentality they're 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 in that committee they are not saying like this is an ultimatum they're like we have to discuss this and when when we get to the point where like we can't do this bell's like well i gotta get back to alderaan and then mothma's like well we gotta do what we can we can't we if we don't have consensus, we can't support you. Right. To you. I no no, I know what you're saying. And like, I, I'm not being very nuanced because of again my my lack of watching it, but it still gets down to this point of the rebellion itself. Right. The says, organization, the alliance. Right, right. And it like I said, even with right. voices fighting it, because I can't remember what's the name of the the general that's introduced in this movie who's yeah, the one, the who one gives, who's the strike force. Um I can't remember yeah, his name offhand. He's yeah, kind of the face yeah. of the opposition yeah exactly and so my mothma is very Mamothma going like well if we don't have consensus yeah, nothing we could that's do. true um and it's one of those things of that's where Jin says yeah. no and then she gets like right. you said caster and this strike force and right. all of them steal a ship right. and they're gonna go do this with or without them and again we still see that that's the spark because obviously once they get to scarif and the plan is in motion People who were in that council room said, no, we sh- we don't need consensus. Screw this. I'm taking my ship and my yes. crew. And and the rebellion moves, yes. even though obviously that must be to a chorus of dissenting voices who said, yes. you're going to throw all of our capital ships at this one thing. We're going to lose them all, which they do. Which they do. <laughs> yes. Um, it's not unwise. But if they hadn't done that, that doesn't lead to this, to that domino, to yeah. that domino, to that domino. Yeah. You're 100% right. Okay, so we go into our final moments here. Uh, Jin thinks Cassian is dead. K2 dies. And Jin uh, thinks she's about to die at the hands of Krennic. Cassian saves her as they manage to be successful and upload the plans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, Jin's life ends not only accomplishing her goals, but I think we're definitely meant to read into it as finding family with Cassian. Yeah. And whether you interpret that last bit or not, uh, I think it's nice to think that well, I think the best way she was, has that family there with her in the end. I think the best thing is she finds family. She finds yeah. a sense of belonging with it. Yeah. Y- you can read far deeper into that, but like yeah, that's at, fair. at minimum, yeah. she found a place. Okay. So that is the entirety of Jenna Erso's 21 years. So now that we've laid it all out, what are your thoughts well, okay, I'm going to go off the last point of, like, yeah. Jin Ursa's whole thing is she wants to have a sense of belonging, and she's, like, constantly denied that. And even when she has it for short bursts, it's usually violently stolen from her. Um, and that, yeah. and her life ends with that, but with a, you know, cosmic force kind of note of hope of, uh, you know, Cassian's one of the only people that didn't abandon her or even try. Like when 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 the she chips are pushed down, him away, he came back to her. He came back, and 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 so that's that's like the cathartic moment of this is just that's all she needed. She just needed someone to stick with her, um, and and you know, and it's tragically cut short, but it's it's 
like you said, I think the best part about Jyn Erso in Star Wars is the fact that we have her entire narrative arc, that we yeah. have um, her ending in the film, we have her her beginning in Rebel Rising, and we have her origin from Catalyst of the the world she grew up in yeah. and, and, and was born into. Yeah. Um. And and the struggles of why her father is going to be this distant figure she can never get connected with. Yeah. Um. And. I think the biggest thing with Jin Erso is she represents the noble quality of the rebellion. Yeah. What it's actually about, the actual brick and mortars that are its foundation, which already we're seeing lost. Yeah. And I think you see that a lot during um, you know, Saw's the obvious example of this, of of just uh, a very twenty-first century view of, you know, freedom fighting. Like the 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 dark places you can go for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, whereas the Rebels TV show, I think, shows people like Hera as a true believer, a Jin Erso style yeah. person who gets it. Yeah. And she's contrasted by her father, who is, you know, on the way to Saw with never getting there. Yeah. Right. There's an extremist part of, of absolutely, of, you That's know, a great not point. forgetting wow. what we're going to, what we're yeah. fighting for, and Jin establishes that and you can see how people like Min Mothma and Leia and uh Harrison Dula and these this is going to be a person who's going to get canonized as the, the the one of the most important martyrs of our cause the the people that we need to yeah. push towards and when you learn more about our life story you get to the thing of like man she is a traditional build a cult around it martyr in the sense of she has had every reason to give up yes and we know after reading those books, she, she, she did a few times. Yes. But the story that's going to be told the galaxy wide about Jyn Erso from there on out is going to be about a downtrodden, beaten down by the world person who the Empire took everything from her. Yeah. her and she still never became cynical, never became jaded. No. She just kept fighting for what the universe could be. Yeah. And for what she believed in personally, which I think is important, not what other people told her was important. And I think I mean, it's sometimes goofed on. And, and I don't I don't know. I It hit me at the right moment. And I feel it's a theme that plays out through all the rebellious natures of, of Star Wars is Rose's line of we're going to win this by fighting for what we believe in, not against what we you know, we're not going to fight. We're not. We're going to win by fighting for what we love, not fighting against what we hate. Yes. I'm missing the paraphrase, but you, no, like, but that, that was, yeah, that but was the sentiment close, yeah. there is Jin is fighting for a yeah. better future because she now sees that she could have one, you know, um, Luke is fighting for redemption and, 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 and to stop the empire from taking away the things like, yeah. you know, he lost, um, you know, Leia lost her entire family and world and she's still not like, well, those bastards need to die. We need vengeance. She never becomes that. She's yeah. going like, we need to make sure that that can never happen again. And, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of is what separates a very heroic character from a very um, cynical character. And that's what Cass and Andor I'm hoping as time will go on, get shaped on to yeah. is he represents that cynicism and that undertow that's easy to get caught up in. And it's when you are face to face with a mere image of yourself, of this person who can have all the same crap as you, even maybe worse and not do the things you did, not become the thing you became. It, 
it <laughs> it it's like you know it's coming in from yeah. from years in the darkness and the cold into this bright light future and you're like oh god that's what i was supposed to be here for i forgot that along the road and i think especially in this era of human history those are messages that need to be really strong yeah. because as we are surrounded by information and can take the most positive and the most cynical looks possible at anything just by which prism you want to look through at news and current events and all this kind of stuff. It's really important that optimism and hopefulness is a choice. It is not ignorant of the facts, but it's yeah. looking at the facts and remembering that that's maybe the way it is, but that's not yeah. the way it has to be. And it's so funny you say that because when I think about who I am now, as a person versus who I was four years ago when Rogue One came out. Mm -hmm. My life has changed drastically in that time. Some mm -hmm. for the good, some for the bad. Uh, some things have stayed the same. Yeah, And I think that's true for everybody, of course. You go through different large periods of flux in your life at different times. Not everybody experiences them in the same way. Sometimes you live a short life and you get blown up by a super laser and your life is really hard and really tragic. <laughs> but even if it is, it's about staying positive where you can it's about embracing hope where you can uh and i have moments where i slip from that i have moments sometimes oh, yeah. in my personal life sometimes at work sometimes uh even in star wars where i'm not the person i want to be but i do want to keep trying and i think Jin is a great inspiration for that one of the best little other mentions of Jin we have in canon is in uh the first alphabet squadron novel where uh chas one of the characters mm -hmm. is basically saying Jin, you know the the person who started all of this, the person who this is all because who she destroyed is, the Death Star. Yeah, she is that martyr that uh, that you're talking about, and she is that spark of hope. And what's so cool is we see other characters be that spark of hope in different ways throughout time. Uh, and ultimately, it was Jin fighting, um, you know, fighting oppression uh, is really what it came down to. Is you know she wanted to do what was right by her father and wanted to live up to what she believed in. And it makes that character so neat. You know, we mentioned earlier talking about it being kind of similar to Han Solo's arc. And I think the reason I say that now is because of Solo. Yeah. So when you look at Han and Solo, you know, that film starts off with another, just like we have in this one, a flashback or whatever, jump ahead, whatever we, you want to call it. We start in the past and then we jump to yeah. the forward. And when you meet Han, while he is still a, a scoundrel in a way, yeah. he's a lover. You know, he's yeah. a, he's a happy guy. He's a fun guy. He's energetic. He's you know in love, and he's uh, dreaming big. You know about possibilities. Mm -hmm. And then the entire point of the solo movie is to break that of him. Is to grind him. Yeah, is to basically bring him to who we know. And all of these things that we see him being in a war zone at the beginning to, you know, meeting a mentor and uh, friends and then seeing them all die and then finding the love of your life and her choosing to run away from you and meeting a friend and having him abandon you and then having to kill your mentor because he betrays you. But you're really all still friends and all of that happening while three or four of the other biggest moments of your life happen. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting way to shape a character. And what's interesting about that character is he has 10 years of his life where that cynicism is just going to seep into his being and change and skew his perspective on things. And right. then we meet him again in the cantina where he is that dark person who 
while still in our eyes partially a hero especially at that point very much a a bad guy yeah he's not a good guy but he's not really a bad guy either he's a self-motivated a self-driven person and so his life comes back around he has that character swing because of his friends and his people around him because they lead him to do better you know the example of luke going to fight the death star is what leads him to make his sacrifice of coming to save him and then you have the same thing where his life just happens to end happy yeah but it's the same arc that Jin takes in a lot of ways, and I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, of it, course, themes repeat themselves in Star Wars all the time, so it's not like this is some big breakthrough thing. But I find it really, really interesting that Jin is a complete story that we've gotten. Mm-hmm. And I think out of all the characters we've gotten, because her arc is so complete and so well done, and because all of, all that material came out in like a six month span like it all was tight it's not like that novel came three years later you know that was all planned and i really really think that's worth celebrating around that film absolutely uh, i think she is a fantastic character and it's kind of this weird thing of i hope she keeps growing as a part of the story um like that alphabet squad thing where it's it's like like oh yeah no she blew up the death star it's like uh general skywalker blew up the star it's like oh he just fired the last shot like yeah. is such a great example of there are people latching on to different parts of these legends that are happening in the universe. Yeah. And while we know Jin's arc pretty much all the way, we don't really need more details per se about her life. Yeah. I want her to, I want her to keep ebbing into the story as, you know, one of the prominent mindshare pieces of the rebellion right, that she right. you know like i would love to have seen like i don't know in i don't know uh, the resistance flagship is the urso or something like that you know yeah. little things like that things like that or or having a character later on named after Jin or, or you know yeah. stuff like that because she is she's an important well, character to i, I would argue that rogue squadron oh rogue squadron is named sure. after her in a way uh, yeah wait wait you're absolutely right now, as an old man, I have to remember that it works that way. Yeah, now, I do. Right, I have I know, to remember that's how that works. But you're yeah. no, no. But you're 100 percent right, and I think she earns having the yeah. most famous rebellion squad named yeah. after her cause. It makes so much sense. As the sun is shining through this window here in the in the <laughs> uh, in the Star Wars All In Studio, uh, I feel like a new day has started for my uh, Rogue One fandom, and it makes me. Very happy to uh, to have all of this content uh, just for this one great little completed arc. And it makes me really excited, if you're listening to this at the beginning of 2020 when we record it, yeah, uh, for the High Republic stuff that's coming out later. Because I'm hoping it'll be a similar sort of thing of, like, we'll get a true beginning, middle, and end to something. Oh, and, that's true, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I love the thought about having more of these instances in Star Wars. And don't get me wrong. It's great when they're characters we already know, but it's also great when they're brand new characters. So I really, really would love more stories like this of new characters, but that are completed. That would be, make me really happy. Yeah, and, and I think that's it's something that Star Wars definitely can use more of because Star Wars is sort of like, I love comic books, but comic books are a never-ending soap opera. You'll never really kill Spider-Man. You'll never really kill Doctor yeah. Doom. They will never have, <laughs> they'll never get to an ending. And it's nice to have characters in Star Wars who are allowed to sort of have their stories wrap up and ride off yeah. into the sunset. Yes. Um, and that's great. And Jin, Jin is, Jin's great. 
Gin is great, Mac. Well, I... Uh, do you hear that? Well, what's that sound? What is that? I think Mac, it's do you hear that? Into the station. Coming into the station. The train is coming into the station. So, Star Wars is at its heart. A space western. Never more than in The Mandalorian. And what's one of the most classic scenes of a, uh, you know, western? Robbing the train. But, in Star Wars, a train won't just do. It's gotta be some cool space train. It's gotta have a space train. Enter the 20T railcrawler conveyax transport simply known as the conveyax yeah you would you would think uh, our first train in star wars trains have been around in star wars forever like to me i think about trains in star wars and i think for me that probably comes from shadows of the empire i was gonna say so shadows is definitely where i remember is there's the whole on Old Mandel, when you're getting to IG-88, yeah. Dash Renders on the train trying to get there. But that's also more of a hover train. There's like a rail underneath yeah. of it that it's sort of glued to. Now, yes. it's also a hover train because that's a lot easier to create in N64 graphics. But- yes. But now, here in 20, what, 2018? Yeah, Solo came out in 2018. This sounds right. We have our first live-action Star Wars train heist. And it's it's and are actually our first heist, our first train heist. That's like true. we've had trains. We also have another hover tram type of thing in the Clone, Clone Wars. Wars. Yep. But there, while a heist is happening, we're on, from the perspective of people defending the train. Here, we're from the pe- perspective of people attacking the train. So that's the train we're talking about. If you're not familiar, it's on Vandor, nice big icy mountain from the film Solo. And the thing about it is the name that it gets in the official dictionary is a rail crawler um, conveyax. And I think yeah. we are meant to imply that maybe in the future conveyaxes are the name of these train-like things in Star Wars. So so just like there are no elevators in Star Wars, there's turbo lifts. Yeah. It may be there are no trains in Star Wars, there are yeah. conveyaxes. Yeah, it makes sense, right? You take it from like a conveyor, it, you know, conveyor belt goes from one end to the other. And that's what this train is here now. And I th- think it implies the fact also it's not... It's it can go up and down and left and right and sideways like because they're Wonka Vaders. They this is not a train that just sits on trails that are on, you know, the ground. It's a it's a rail that is it's a monorail. Yeah, it's a monorail. I mean, it is. Well, and the crazy thing about this All one right. we're talking about, the one that features in Solo, this 20T is it is a top and bottom. It yeah. is crawling both the bottom and top of this monorail. So it's basically two train cars connected in the middle. So yep. they can't fall off. 
and then there's an entire run of them. Now they kind of look like they're modeled after the ATAT head. Yeah, this... as well. They kind of have that same sort of boxy design. So yeah. imagine like two walker heads uh, glued bottom to bottom. It's like a walker snake. Yes. And boy, do I love it. Um, it is such a cool piece of tech. It is new while still being familiar. It 100% feels like something the Empire would have. It feels like, oh, it makes sense we haven't seen it before because we've never seen this specific type of situation with our characters. It's just everything about it I'm a big, big fan of from design to execution to the character moments we get there in Solo. And uh, one of the neat things about it is, like you said, it's it's based on walkers because unlike a train train, this is a military transport. So it has guns on it. It is heavily armored. Yeah. It has um, thick casing around all of the train cars. Um, it's built off of, it was especially important in World War One armored trains that existed in our huh. world uh, where you would have like the um, Germans especially would move like howitzer style, like um, artillery. They would move that by train and it would be on the train. Like they would position it by train lines. Um, you saw some of this even extend a little into world war two. And you know, the supply lines of the trains were hugely important to those two wars because air cargo and transport until world war two and even realistically after World War II, wasn't the easiest way to move stuff around. So the train lines were the biggest way to get vast amounts of cargo from one place to another. And so that metaphor, you know, extends here to the uh, Conveyx in that, you know, that's what this is for. This is how the Imperials move heavy military stuff between their various installations um, when, you know, either the terrain is inhospitable or just it's cheaper and easier to move it not by transport, like flying transport. Yeah. Um, and in this case, in Solo, I think we see this train being used because hyperfuel's entirely volatile and the convex, unless a whole bunch of people uh, try to heist it, is a much smoother ride than any yeah. flying transport will be. Yeah. I mean, it's literally on rails. It can't deviate from it, even though that's what they're trying to get it to do. Uh I think this is a thing I want to see more of in Star Wars. I want to see uh, other variants. I want to see other transports, other trains. Uh, I want to see other characters uh, rob them and defend them. I am into train heists. Yeah, and, and I think it's it it's just cool. You get range troopers who have these magnetic boots. They yeah. apparently like, know what they do with the trains. They they. They've seen a train heist before. They, yeah, they, they know prepared. what to do. And yeah. Um, and I think it's just it's it's again, it's that whole thing we all keep talking about loving, which is Star Wars gets a little bit bigger. We get yep. a little bit more about what's going yep. on. Um There's a really cool playset that uh that was sold uh, for oh. action figures of the Vandor train heist. And uh yeah, it's mostly the train part I think is mostly cardboard. I don't think there's well plastic to it, but it's still really cool. Yeah, no, and and it's and again, just makes Star Wars a little bit bigger, and it's uh, it's a great little addition. Yeah, and um, rail crawler. They don't call them a train. They're a rail crawler conveyx. Honestly, Star though, Wars name for that. It goes very fast. It does not crawl at all. No, no, no. We're we're like just below like maglev speed trains yeah, here. <laughs> yeah, this thing is flying. Awesome. Well, uh, I love spending some time with trains, Mac. Well, you know, the thing about it is this is a military train, a, a, a normal thing that's been converted to an even more military purpose. I think we have something else to talk about that's in the same vein. Oh, okay. All right. Let's see if we can figure that out.
So you've got the B1 <laughs> battle droid. Yep. Kind of dumb. Roger, Roger. You know, it has a limited processor, you know, because, you know, the the droid ships, which used to be more powerful, they don't have those anymore. So you got to put an independent process in there. They're, they're okay. Yeah, yeah. Then you got the way scarier B2s, which are your big super battle droids. Yeah. Those things are intimidating as heck. Not a fan. But we need something smaller and more subtle. So let's take a B1. Mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. shave off all the edges of it, <laughs> tighten it, make it smaller, more compact. Let's give it a good processor. And let's, last but not least, gunmetal gray the whole thing. Yeah. And what do you end up with? The BX series Ooh, droid. Better known as the commando droid. So the BX, huh? I never yep. thought to look that up. What a cool name, man. Okay, so you know I love battle droids. Yep. We talked about battle droids early on this show. Big, big fan. I think they're great. Oh. A great addition. I should say, I'm assuming it's BX. I mean, with modern naming conventions, it could be the B10. I don't oh, know. Geez. X for the Roman okay. numeral. Okay. So the commando droids, we first see them in the Clone Wars. In fact, commando droids have made appearances in over 25 episodes of the Clone Wars. Well, once you got that model. That's right. You got to use them again. We first see them in the episode Rookies, where they infiltrate a clone outpost. Yeah. And not only is this a great couple of episodes, but they're a really fearsome opponent because they are loaded up with weapons. They use these Vibra Blades. Yeah. So they can just sneak up right behind you, shank you, and you're done. These commando droids are quick. They're efficient. We even see one of them imitate a clone trooper. They put it on its helmet. I mean, they're that smart. That's my favorite part is that their their heads are shaving down to be much more uh, human proportions. Yeah. And part of that is so that they can use gear. Like we see it as like literally a deception, but it's just also they talk about like the fact of, yeah, they can put on armor and equipment that is standard for most of the troops. Yeah. And that is an advantage of there because they're resourceful little buggers. One other thing I like about them, any, I feel this way about everything we see added to Star Wars over the years, but like we have a character that shows up in a single novel or a single frame of a movie or a single episode of The Clone Wars, and then they're placed throughout the saga. Yeah. I mean, the first iteration of this are the special editions, right? Like right. adding Aronto in. Uh, but really, we also see them pop up in like issues of Darth Vader and Dr. Aphra. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they've been added in since to the post-Clone Wars era, which I think makes them even cooler. Uh, But they're great. I mean, I I love seeing them. They're dangerous as all heck. And I think one of the neat things about that they used in the languages, the B1s and the B2s are very humanoid. They walk forward. They shoot forward. The commando droids, we kind of see some of the stuff we've seen in other robot fiction where, well, if you could have a universal joint, why would you have to walk forward? We, I think the the best example of this is IG Eleven, yeah, in Mandalorian. But the the commando droids are are kind of going that route where they can like you know kind of like flip up with their impossibly bendy spines over railings that they were hanging underneath of, and yeah. you know they can dodge in ways where if just they turn their torso to the side and and scary stuff that is makes them very inhuman. Yeah, absolutely. They are originally shown as being very creepy. As we get to know them throughout, I think they do become a little bit less of a threat, but they're always threatening. Well, they start becoming, we start to see them in more standard issue, right? Not on a special behind the, behind the lines mission. Um, for instance, we just saw them uh, recently in the 
the Bad Batch, the start yes. of season yeah. seven. And they're just sort of like the honor guard for right. the um, the tactical droids. In a lot of ways, they're kind of death troopers. Yeah. Like what death troopers have become now since Rogue One and Canon, they've become kind of like the Navy SEALs a little bit. Yeah. Um, specialized missions, things like that. And that is sort of what it feels like commando droids are to the Separatists. Exactly. Um, I think they're just a great design. I mean, I, I know I rave a lot about battle droids specifically because as a kid, I never really got into some of the other droids of Star Wars. Like, I mm-hmm. thought they were neat and interesting, and I had my R2 and my 3PO and all that, but to me, they were very much side characters. When the battle droids came out, something about being, you know, nine years old, seeing a whole <laughs> field, for, field full of these uh, CGI droids was just, I, I thought they were great. I fell in love with them. And so every version of the battle droids since... Um, I I really like, and this is no exception here. And I think they get overlooked a lot. I think people kind of think of them as like an add on, but I think they're really great. Oh yeah. And, and, and and they're, they're stupendous. Let me just ask you though. Is there any, has there been a figure of commando droids? Did they ever come out? Even I think they did in the, not in like, Black series, but like three and three quarters. Okay, there's like the, figures the of everything. Wars. There's like figures of okay. Jodo cast, and like there, you can find a figure I, I, of almost anything. So there I has assume to that, be because I remember the droid. the well, I can't remember what they are. IG, I'm not gonna remember, but the IG units that showed up in Clone Wars in like season one. I remember they made figures of those. So I'm hoping they made Commando droids. Well, but. Mac, you know, asking you shall receive. Uh, luckily, due to uh, the magnificence of the internet. Oh, that internet. I can pull it up. So here we have a Clone Wars 2010 Target Commando droid. Uh, right now listed on eBay with a buy it now $60 in free shipping. Oh. So this is, well, this is a five pack of, oh, 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 wait, hold on. There's a lot of figures in here. Let's see. I count two Commando droids uh, and it's a pack of bounty hunters. So Aura Singh, Cad Bane, looks Ooh. like that. The picture's not great. That might be Bosk in the background. Oh, this is from that one. This is from an episode where there's this team because there's that that fish guy whose name I can't remember. <laughs> you're all good. Well, that that's okay. So, so yes, so, it okay. exists. So you're saying if I want a commando droid figure, it's not sixty dollars. It's it's just it's it's a normal seven figure. figures for sixty bucks in this package. That's not a bad. That's not a bad. Honestly, Mac, I did just get my tax return today. Sarah would kill okay, me. Okay, so anyway, but let's let's let's. <laughs> so there has been a figure, which is great because um, I'm with you. I love the battle droids. Um, I think the Republic Commando games gave me a lot of respect for um, the droids kind of outside of just the B1s. Um, and, and here is an individual. They did also print it individually for $40. Oh, okay. For how much? Well, right now it's selling. This one's selling for 40 Is it in box mint? Yeah. Okay, good. So you're saying if I want to find one loose, I could probably pay the what i would pay for here's it. one 24 loose plus four dollar shipping okay these are rarer than i want but that's okay you know what that makes sense the commando droids are stealthy they're hard to find in real life as well as outside of it <laughs> uh anything else you want to see about commando droids oh they were made in lego i didn't know that oh i wouldn't have thought that new at all. sealed box lego sorry still on whoa, ebay whoa, wait, wait, wait stop 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 <laughs> you're telling me we got a commando droid in Lego. Yeah. Elite Clone Trooper and Commando Droid Battle Pack. 98 pieces. But we don't have a Zuckus. This is nonsense. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll hop on the horn with Lego. Uh, <laughs> come back right after this to hear our final thoughts.
Star Wars is for everyone. Every day, we have the ability and opportunity to create a more accepting world by actively coming together and living inclusively. Whether it's the galaxy far, far away or right here at home, there's always a chance to do even small things to include other people. Let them know that they're loved. Just regardless of the differences we have between us, what makes us in common is far more important. Yeah, Star Wars loves and accepts all. And it's always been about that. And here we are in 2020, Star Wars more inclusive than ever. I can't tell you how many different people from different walks of life, different ability levels, different races, creeds, genders, that were all together at Star Wars Celebration to celebrate the things we love. Sometimes it feels like you're fighting against the Empire when you're trying to champion what's right. But remember, it takes all of us to fight an Empire. So join us and everyone else in the galaxy and learn how you can come together at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Well, Mac, bad news. Just got off the phone with Lego. No Zuckus on the horizon that they tell me about. They they didn't. What, what did they say? We're, we're, we're an influential podcast. We have yeah. at least tens of listeners. I know. I know. I told them that. I told them those exact words. I said, listen, I have spent nearly $50 on Lego this year alone, sir. And listen I've to me. I've spent much more than that. <laughs> Yeah, they were very polite about it. Um, they probably thought I was a small child calling to complain about Zuckus, but here we are. We're we're fine. I'm okay. Are you okay? We're all fine here. All right, good. So, Mac, what a fun episode. Yeah, no, no, we had a good one. Also, what a depressing episode, because <laughs> Jin's life was just depressing. But well, that's the point. The point uh, the, is she's found hope she's in tragic. her depression. Yes. She's a tragic character, and I also want to say one thing I will say positive about Rogue One. Still brave to do a tragedy in the 21st century. Yeah. Human beings have gotten really cold on on stories that involve the main characters dying. Yeah. Um, and I think they that part of it they did really great. Jin's end is very earned and very cathartic, and it feels satisfying, even if it is sad. Yes, it is. Um, all of those things, I couldn't agree more, and I'm happy to have some peace with that. Uh, trains, you know. Gotta love a choo-choo. Big fan. Well, I just, I, I think it's great that we have trains in Star Wars because, again, if it's a space western, that means that a conveyance could show up mm -hmm. in The Mandalorian mm -hmm. at some point, mm -hmm. and they have to deal with train stuff. Man. I'm all about train stuff. We did get a ferry. We did get a gondola in there. The Mandalorian, so. It, and it was an actual gondola. It the, was, the, yeah. That that leggy R2-D2. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then what did we talk about last? We talked about commando droids. Commando droids, which are great. They are great. I, they're cool. Um, I did not buy one on eBay for anyone who wanted to know, uh, but I might. You never know. I might wait and sick Mac on one at Celebration, force oh, him to go that, into that's a Figure Alley and uh, keep I an eye out. I wouldn't mind having like a little, like, you know, my collecting is much, much more minimal, but like, 
wouldn't mind having like a little like set maybe of all the three fives of like here's yeah. a b1 here's a b2 here's a bx and here's a Jordico. yeah uh you know it's funny you mentioned collecting my collecting is kind of taking a little bit of a pause almost uh or a shift yeah it is it's very it is healthy but like there are so many variants coming out now black series figures sure like between the first editions and the carbonized figures like i just don't know if i can keep going on this path like there are these have you seen these um so one of the things i want to tell you about today i was going to send you a picture last night because i knew you wouldn't stumble on it on your own probably for a while uh they are making the first official force unleashed black series figure the Force Unleashed Super Dog Cannon. Is it Star Killer? No, it's Falling. a it's one of the Stormtroopers. So they've uh, well, uh, that makes sense because they'll they would still remain in can. Is it one of the uh, no? It's Shadow one, Troopers. I can't remember. No, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But it's the blue ones. Remember the like they had like the big guns. Yeah, the, um, they're 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 elite stormtroopers because they're basically they're implied yeah. in in Force Unleashed to be they're fighting five zero first. Yeah, who have survived up to now. Yeah. And that's why they still have the blue because that's clone armor. Yeah. So uh, that's what they're making because they've they're doing this gaming series. So they released oh. that. They released um, an episode two battle droid, uh, like the darker brown ones with the yeah. black, and they released a Jedi Revan because they've already released the Sith Revan figure, but they released a Jedi Revan figure. But the Jedi Revan is not is canonically could be a man a woman or it could be a lot well, of things well it's uh it's still got the helmet it's still got the helmet it's, okay. it's basically just in white and brown robes instead of black oh it's it's a, so it's more of a redeck you know, more of a yes, yes. Than... part of this okay. gaming series that's fine uh so i find it interesting but at the same time when you get gamestop keep having exclusives and you keep getting all these retailer well, exclusives i think it's time for me to maybe so was... step back and just buy the ones i want to buy maybe i think being a completist is getting to a point where it's becoming a little too much with this line. When it was like five figures every three months, a little more reasonable. But that's because that's what's become, right? Yeah. Oh, um, that is. Like, yeah. It's like I was watching uh, recaps from uh, Toy Fair. Yeah. Right. And one of the things that was bugging me was uh, Hasbro's re-releasing GI Joe for the first time since the first movie. They're breathing life back into the GI Joe line, um, mostly because they have a new movie coming up and they're just starting. To get yeah. So they're for making that. a Snake Eyes, uh, which looks really toy. good. Um, from what not I, a Nicolas Cage sequel, if you didn't know. No, Don't no, make yourself no, look like a is, fool. This is Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origin. Yeah. That's yeah. its full title. Um, but it's exciting because, you know, I, I've inherited G.I. Joe and Transformers from my brother because I just happened to be the right age that I got his hand-me-down toys. So I was really into toys that are like five to ten years older than I should be. Like, I know Masters of the Universe, and I have no right by my age to know anything about He-Man. <laughs> um, but when I think about that kind of stuff... I was sad because it's like, oh, well, these got these six inch figures that are very poseable, but they're kind of blocky. They're a little like um, little caricature ish. Mm-hmm. And they're they're cut from the same mold of the kind of character types you see in like Overwatch and Fortnite. And a bunch of fa- fans were like, well, this, this is not my G.I. Joe. My G.I. Joe's are tiny and they come with like spaceships and stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, it's because they're trying to give G.I. Joe to the generation that's into <laughs> Fortnite. Well, yeah, but these toys—they're they're toys. Yes, toys are for children. Yeah, we as adult collectors are basically doing one of two things: we're either collecting them as art objects, and that's where sideshow collectibles and their end of the universe exists, or hot toys. Right? Yeah. They are 
toys as in that is the limitation to our art is yeah. it has to seem like something I could have played with as a child. Yes. But we really put them as art objects. Yes. Or the other side, which is they are objects for children to play with that we as adult collectors are buying because we wish we had these when we were kids kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. I buy Legos because the idea of a Lego X-Wing that looks like that when I was a kid is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but it still has, you know, spring-loaded blaster bolts and all the <laughs> stuff that as an adult is just stuff I'm going to lose. Yeah. But as a kid, like, you're going to lose it in the right way, poking your eye out with it and stuff. Um, so just yeah. looking at Toy Fair, it was kind of this just weird kind of amalgam of, like, you look at what Hasbro wants to do. But then knows that 80% of anything they produce is going into collector's hands first. Yeah. Like, it's the first thing that's going to happen to it. So even when they make things like the the Star Wars, uh, I can't remember what they call the adventure ones we, we looked at. We talked about on Force Friday that are oh, blocky. and Yeah, Star Wars Adventures. Star Wars Adventures. The, the books, yeah. Those are not meant for collectors. Right. But Hasbro knows that you're going to buy them. And we don't really want you to. We specifically made them to counter-program towards you. And you still bought them. That's why I love this new line of figures they have out right now. Oh. They're they're doing some really cool stuff. They've got an Ahsoka and a Rex, I think, coming out, or but they've got some new things coming. I'm really you know, you know what and, I mean. The, what, what, what are is. they? Galaxy of Heroes? That sounds right. Is that what they called? I can't remember offhand. Galaxy of Adventure? Yeah. I haven't bought any uh, yet. I'm trying to Yeah. I'm, Galaxy of Adventure sounds more right. But um, you know what they are. You know what I mean. The ten dollar yeah. ones, they're made very much for children. Um, I'll buy, I want to buy the Vader and the Kylo, but and, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's one of those things of, it's not surprising to me that the black series stuff has gone to Best Buy, GameStop, all these exclusives is because, I mean, you know, this, you hate the hunt, but you like the spoils of completing the hunt, right? That's true. There is something satisfying about going to our local con and finding a good deal on a figure. And when fun, but at the same time, I would ultimately always rather just walk into a store shelf and buy them all at list price. But what Funko has done, inadvertently, I don't think they set out to do this, but Funko has made it that it's impossible to get everything, but you have this delusion you still can. Yeah. Right. And and that's where like for instance the the ultimate ones for me that I just go like no this is collector nonsense and this shouldn't exist for something that is finger quotes supposed to be a yeah, toy yeah. is like the con exclusives. Yeah. Right. It's one thing if you have it at the con, but you can also buy it on like Hasbro pulse or something like there's another way to eventually purchase it. Yeah. Right. And maybe yours has a sticker. Mine doesn't. But like what I don't like is this manufactured scarcity, which I think Hasbro is not necessarily, they're doing it because it's the market trend. It's what yeah. collectors want. Collectors want to have something that no one else can have. And that inherent desire is what causes all this misery and when you're someone like you who's doesn't want to make this your second job yeah it gets frustrating yeah when you're someone like me who has a carbonized mandalorian figure and knows the second i opened the box and put it on my shelf i was making some somewhere out there in the ether is as if a thousand collectors cried <laughs> and were suddenly silenced like i like it as a toy and i put yeah. it with my toys on my shelf so that when i'm drawing i look up and like that inspires me and I keep drawing like I don't want it to stay in the box. And there's these, all these different masters and you can't serve all of them. And that's sort of like, to, yeah. <laughs> to bring it back to something more personal to what we're talking about. That's kind of what we're talking about with, 
like Jin Urso. One of the biggest reasons Rogue One hurt me was I read Catalyst and I was so excited where that novel was going to take me. Yeah. And that movie doesn't really pay off that because it's not about Ganon Krennic. Of course, Galen and Krennic. I mean, why would it be? Yeah. Um, And it's one of those things of like, as we get all these novels and we glom it together, we're at a place in Star Wars where a lot of fans, ourselves included, are starting to realize that this universe is so huge and it is not meant to be all all things to all people and it is not meant to be all consumed. So if Max still has this struggling problem with the comic books, but he likes the Lando comic book, I can just go read the Lando comic book and I don't have to feel this pain of, well, I should go read the Dr. Afro comic. I mean, uh, <laughs> she's a neat character, but she feels anachronistic to the way yeah. star Wars is in the seventies version that they're telling the story in. But why do I feel guilty about reading something that's like, you know what? There's, there's a bunch of people that love Dr. Afra, and that's rad. She's yes. a great character. Yes. I don't have to get into Dr. Yes. Afra for my star Wars to be complete. That's it. That's it. And that is the thing that I think I truly feel if everybody who, you know, identifies themselves as a star Wars fan were to act and behave with that mindset, I think we'd be a much happier fandom. Uh, yeah. You know, I try and not fall down some of those holes on the internet that uh, we know we all know are out there. But sometimes you find yourself there. And uh, in those situations, remember, it's just about saving what you love, right? Standing yeah. up for the things you like. I would so much rather stand here and talk to you about trains and Star Wars, man, because <laughs> I know we're so super positive about it. Yes. But if I'm out and about and someone goes, man, I hate that conveyance and solo. I'm like, OK, cool. Trains not for don't you. Make sense. We have I'm not going to. I am no longer going to try and convince that person that no trains are awesome. Like they can think what they want. And for them, there's uh, 10 other Star Wars movies that don't have trains in them. So, hey, find one of those. And that's cool, too. Uh, and I think a lot of people are going to have a hard time getting over that. But you know what? That's okay. That's what we're working towards. And we're trying to be better every day as Star Wars fans. And I hope anyone else uh, is as well. It's always tough. We, 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 we both express joy of like with canon, we can kind of, you, you, you basically read all the canon novels. Like yeah. you're on top of it. That feels great. But there's a lot of people who are like, I read all the Legends novels. Now i got to go start again. This sucks. Like, yeah. it makes sense that it's it's yeah. frustrating to have to lose something to potentially gain something. Yeah. But the thing you have to remember is we as all fans are gaining because the more of us there are, the yeah. more of Star Wars we get. The more of Star Wars we get, the more of what you love will come out. Yeah, it's all a machine, man, as DJ would say. Well, it, it, it good guys, bad guys. There's no guys. There's just there's people. Um, let me learn you something, big but, big uh, F. Well, that's one of the best lines, big it, F. It, Who just calls Finn big F? Uh sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, no. Future topics we've talked about. We're gonna get the cast in Andor eventually. We need to get to oh, yeah. DJ. We need to talk about Doctor Afra because there's a whole bunch of people who are casual fans of Star Wars or well, movie fans who have no idea who we just mentioned. There, there's by the lot. end of this year. I will read every back issue of comic from those first four years from this oh, original star. So don't worry, Max. Soon I will be an Afro expert. And the thing about it is the galaxy is going to get bigger. This show challenges us to get over our own stuff and learn a lot more about Star Wars. And the best part about it is if you stay tuned with us, you will get more of this because <laughs> all the research we do every week, which we do too much, you get the benefit of it. And that's what this show is here for. I just found – so I've been – story clocking and character clocking star wars films so i can have that information in my uh you know in my back pocket just to kind of for some comparison data and stuff uh and i just got a great new stopwatch app for my phone 
it's going to make it so much more efficient for me to do things now. Very excited. So stick in next time. Uh, If you have any thoughts about anything we talked about today, do you want more advice on uh, Star Wars novels or you want to talk about uh, Rebel Rising or Rogue One or trains, you know where to find me. Uh, any train, not just Star Wars trains, Back to the Future 3, that's a good train. Um, the one that goes in the mall that's real small, I like that one. Uh, any train, really, I'm, I'm down to talk about. I don't know a lot, but I'm enthusiastic and passionate about I like, it. I, I like space trains a lot. Yeah. Like yeah. Trains. All right. Well, uh, hey, After Star Wars train. All In on Twitter, Instagram, check it out. Uh, let us know uh, what your feelings are about these topics. And uh, hey, we'll see you next week, Mac. Yeah, because until next Wednesday, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until then, may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.